It is wonderful to be here. Um, just felt because of what the Lord's doing, let me just get into it. I could introduce myself and that it is lovely to be here again. It's a while since I've preached here, I think. I've been here a couple of, once this year, I think. Uh, part of City Bowl and everything. So I'm going to set my timer. <laughs> so if I can't say anything in 35 minutes, then, well, then that the Lord has said for me. So... You've heard this uh, with the introduction, with the, with the announcements, we've heard about 412, we've heard about all the things happening in Josh J and 412 and, and uh, training, this training, discipleship, and this happening in Josh J and, and going to comms, and it's a busy church. There's a lot that we can get involved with and a lot we can do, and it's all incredible. The resources you have is amazing. And what God is doing in Josh Jen is absolutely incredible, mind-blowing, it's supernatural. Only God. If I look around, look at myself, I look around me, I think, this has to be God, what God's doing. But I felt a, a message for the church at large, uh, maybe Josh Jen and Fort, well, whatever it is, I felt there's a message. I don't want this to be a, feel like it's a warning or feel it to come as a heavy, but as something too invigorate and restore something afresh in your life. Some of you, maybe it's just to blow more wind in the sails. Maybe it is to get the fire burning brighter. But as Kim was saying, perhaps there are things in your heart that needs to be, stuff needs to be unplugged. And stuff needs to be, uh, maybe there is disease there that needs to be sorted out. And I felt like this is the word that I wanted to bring to you guys. So... The Church of Ephesus, maybe we can get the first slide, I'll, I'll, I'll use the slides, because I felt to give you something of a visual. Ephesus was a church uh, at that time when, when, uh, uh, when Paul, was, Paul was around in the early church. Are we going there with the first slide? There we go, <laughs> sorry, there we go. It was a city called Desirable. This is what it, some of the way it looks like now, okay, I couldn't get an old shot, but it was beautiful. It was like this incredibly beautiful city at a, at a river mouth. It was a port. It was like uh, there, were, there were trade routes in the city. There were city people coming in and out. It was a very, very wealthy city. Next slide. It was a thriving market. There's a market called the Agora Market. And there were many people that come and sell and trade. And things are happening in, in, in the streets all the time. You had to light incense to the gods to be able to go buy something there. So it was all wrapped with the underlying idolatry that was taking place in that city. So it was a very wealthy city, and many people were wealthy, self-sufficient. Next slide. And there were 14 temples in that city, of which the main one was to the goddess Atemis, which is the goddess of fertility. And so you can picture the families walking down the streets, families, mom, children, and on the steps of this temple, which you can just give me a shot, which, this is what it looked like. The next one, yeah. It was one of the uh, seven wonders of the ancient world. It was beautiful, but on their steps with the temple prostitutes and then practicing orgies and pornography, you think we, that was there for kids to see, for people to see it, as it was in your face. Uh, by the way, the next picture shows what it looks like now. <laughs> okay. 
So we had this, this idolatrous worship. And as a result of the idolatrous worship, there's demonic that was happening. And there's, uh, the, the, the evil forces were prevalent in the city. Next one. All the, all the uh, philosophers would come there. This was the library, a picture of the library. Millions, thousands and thousands. Well, I think it was the largest library in the known world at that stage. All the philosophers would come there. And the books that had come to... Uh, come to uh, find out, get more knowledge. Next shot. I'm going to go through this quite quickly. And then, at the time, Domitian was a very evil Caesar was uh, ruling, and he brought persecution on the church. He, in fact, built a temple which was higher than Artemis on top of the hill because he said he is God. And if you didn't say Domitian is God, you would be persecuted, killed, put in prison. There was great persecution that happened. Okay, the next fifth. This is uh, one of the places where Paul would have preached. He went, to the, he went to the synagogue, I'll, went to the synagogue and he preached. He, I'll give you some background to what happened there as well. But this was where they had games and everything. Uh, and there'd be guys giving or, 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 great orators and the philosophers and all that would come. Next slide. Church building. Okay, this was the church at Ephesus. I want you to get that picture in your mind. Next, the next picture. Okay. So in the back of, with that, we don't, we don't, I'll read it to you now, so it might be a bit small, okay? So into that context, Paul comes and preaches, preaches the gospel. He stays in that city uh, uh, from two to three years. Um, Acts 19 and 20 can all read about Paul, and there's revival in the city. Philosophers burn books. They burn books. The demons are coming out. People are coming to Jesus. That church is... There's this radical church of belief, which they called the way. Um, and um, the, the guys who sold the little idols, the blacks, what do you call them, were, were losing jobs, they were losing money. There's a riot that happened. And basically, Paul and the church they planted radically turned that city upside down. And into that context came a very healthy church. Paul then. Uh, according to history, calls John, the Apostle John, to lead that church. And John brings Mary, the mother of Jesus, to Ephesus. That's where she dies. Uh, and John becomes the bishop and leader of that church. So you have this culture that is totally everything that's not of God, not of church, planted and radical, healthy, going for God, just Jen. Going for God in a radical culture that everything is against what we stand for, what we believe, what we trust in. Go back 35, come forward 35 years. Domitian exiles John, who is leader of that church, to the island of Patmos. 35 years later, he sends this letter to the church. And I want you to uh, remember that the culture was the same. So I'm going to read that letter, the letter that Jesus says that John must write to this church in Ephesus, his church, the apostle of love. Yeah, I want you to write, he's saying, I want you to write this letter. I'm, 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 the, I'm the one who walks amongst the church. I'm in the church. I'm, I know what's happening in the church. I know the heart of this church. I know what's happening. Can I have some water? Sorry. You're all with me. So 
So one generation later, one generation later, 35 years later, more or less, Jesus writes to the church. The angel, that's to the leader of the church that was there. And if it's right, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden, golden lampstands. This is Jesus who holds the lead in his hand, who, who's in the church, who's actively involved in the church. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. The culture is the same. I want you to think, us as Josh Jean in this culture, are we, uh, is this us? I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. Yes. <laughs> okay. That you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. There's truth. There's, there's good, sound, and solid doctrine. Okay. And they found them to be false. You have persevered in hardship. You persecuted. You persevered. You're pushing through. You're hanging in there. For my name. And have not grown weary. You are going and you're going. You're persevering. You have been faithful. Yet, yet, hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which was, guys, I believed that the body and spirit were separate and you could do anything you liked. Greasy grace, that's what they believed. You life, you can live as you please. Okay. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. So if you look at those characteristics of that church, would you say it's healthy or not? In that context. <laughs> Very violently anti-church, standing, speaking the truth, standing for truth, running with stuff, being faithful, persevering, going to prison, pushing on. Yeah. <laughs> that looks like a healthy church to me. But Jesus, walking in the church, he goes and says, I know it's in there. I know it's in you. Faithful is not enough. I want your love. I want your devotion. See, the moment we lose the reason why we do church, we lose the life of church. We lose the life of Jesus in us. Jesus says, I know you. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. But if you just remain faithful without love, I'm going to take the light from you. You will no longer be my witness. No longer carry the life of God. You'll no longer be the witness that I've called you to be. That city on a hill standing Man, and I'm, I'm like, this is sobering for me and sobering for us who are feeling we're doing stuff radical for God. And Josh took one generation, one generation, the church lost its light. Josh had been going for 25 years. You know, want to know I've got such a passion for our kids and our kids' ministry? Man. I want what we carry to the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. I don't know about you. But if we do not 
keep the main thing the main thing. We can be doing all these things. And I, and I, I am so grateful for the resources we have. I'm so grateful for the strong emphasis on discipleship. I'm so grateful for the leadership, raising of leaders. I'm so grateful for going to nations and for being part of what God's doing, something big that God's doing. But I need to always consistently come back to this place of my love for Jesus. My love for Jesus. Sorry. This is right. Uh, I want to encourage you to stir your love. Not just be, we've got to be busy, man. We, we're very busy. I've got to be careful of this myself. We have to. We are really, really busy. But if I don't keep this love, love light burning bright, I can lose everything God invested in my life if I'm not careful. A.W. Tozer once wrote this. He said, A hundred religious people knit together in unity by careful organization do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men making up a football team. We can have organization, we can have courses, we can have, we can have all these things, but if we don't have our love for Jesus, we have a course. So, let me show you something. I can't take it off. Can't take it off. I've had it on most of my life. Take it off very rarely. So, this ring, Kevin and I have been married 38 years, eh? 38 years. I've known her since 19. I saw her in the March at a Baptist Youth in March 19. 80, 1980, 42 years ago. And the first time I saw her, her, it was like, it was like, I fell in love with her, just what I saw. And uh, I still am deeply in love with her, more so than ever before. And so we, we, we courted and everything, and then we got married, and I got this ring, and I put it on. But I could take off this ring. So, so I can look at this ring, and when I buy her the flowers two or three times a week, that I, I, <laughs> when I buy her flowers, I normally get a, a, a pot plant flower nowadays because it lasts longer. It just makes sense to me. <laughs> okay. Buy flowers. Oh, I, as much as I hate to do it, the kitchen is like the flesh. Like, you can clean it up, but somehow, ten minutes later, there's always a mess. (laughs) So, uh, there is a cupboard, I want to tell you, in the kitchen, that the Lord has to deal with me. And it's called the plastic cupboard. You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's like, you put your hand in and like, you just want to get one thing in, and like 10 things fall over, and it falls out on the floor, and you think, anyway, uh, I endeavor, my wife says that when I, 
when I clean the kitchen, I just move dirt from one place to another. But anyway, <laughs> I wipe it. But I don't do these things in the home. I don't do these things and serve and love her and love because of I got a ring. Oh, ring, I'm doing this for you. It's like, or my marriage certificate. I got a marriage certificate. I had to find my marriage certificate in one of my ID books. I don't do that because I'm married to a ring. Or a marriage certificate. I do it, but because behind this ring, you're the most beautiful person I know. We do the things for Jesus because he's the most beautiful person we know. Don't lose your love. Don't lose your love for Jesus. We can be doing, do the discipleship. Go to calm. Be committed, fully committed because of the person of Jesus. Because of the person. It's not about duty, but delight. Mediocrity never attracted the favor of the king. Average Christianity is not what God calls us for. Settling for second best is not what God's called us to. Called us for the best. And outside of love for him, we'll just be doing stuff and we'll never live in what God has for us. And so, maybe the next slide. So how do I, what what does Jesus say? How do we ignite first love? How do we ignite that first love? And and this is a life process. It's not, okay, so, okay, I love Jesus, I've got to step one, two, three. Because then once again, you're into system. Not into relationship. So this is what Jesus says. Remember, remember, and I want you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes for a moment. I want you to remember that day when the message about Jesus, the person, so filled your heart that conviction came upon you and you lifted your hand or you gave your heart, whatever context it was, to Jesus. I want you to visualize, think about that day. I want you to try and visualize it in your mind. Just the love you felt or the conviction you felt or whatever it was. There's that deep sense of emotion, that deep sense of, man, I've messed up. And there's nothing I can do for myself apart from Jesus. I need him in my life. I want to give my life. I want to commit my life to him. Forever. One of the things I've learned in the Christian walk, if you look through the Bible in the Old Testament, they used to set up altars where God did something. So what they'd do is they'd set up stones, altar, they'd burn a sacrifice. Obviously, there's a whole aspect of worship to it. But those stone altars 
Were there a representation of something that God is here? God has done something here? And as I look back, God did something there, but he did something there so he can propel me into something he wants me to live in. So those beacons were what God has done, what God wants to do. And I'm trusting this morning in this message is like, like an altar where you say, God, you did something in my heart today, but I want needs to propel me into my destiny, into my future. To what you have for me. Not to live second best. Not to live average, mediocre Christianity. Not to live on the fringe. Can I say that again? God has not called you to live on the fringe of church life and church community. Flat out, full out for Jesus. And I'll give you some of those pointers just now. I just want to see what I'm doing on time, yeah? Okay. So you remember, remember what happened when, you, when Jesus saved you. Remember the love you felt. and Go back there regularly. Say, my heart's feeling, uh, Lord, I want to remember grace. I want to remember mercy. I want to remember the love you, you, you showered me with that day when I was unworthy, but you gave me your worth. When I felt valueless, you gave me my value. When you forgave me and I felt forgiven, and I was able to be free. Remember that. Remember that joy that came. Can we spoke about the joy of salvation. We cannot, impossible, to live in the joy of our salvation without loving the Savior himself, the one who saves. Salvation is not a process as a person. It is a process, but essentially about the person that you're walking with. I ask this question, just as we're worshipping today, I thought, are we doing stuff for Jesus or with Jesus? We do stuff for him, I know we do this. But is it with him? Is it following him? That's what discipleship is, it's about following a person. Are we captivated by inexplicable love? By the immaculate beauty of Jesus himself, does Jesus ignite and fuel your passion? And so we, we remember, but then we repent. So he said, I want you to remember, but you need to change. You understand that your heart is sick. You need to understand that my heart is clogged. You need to come to this realization that I'm weak, that, I, that outside of myself, within myself, I can't do anything. And I need Jesus. I need him in my life. The person. And there's conviction. So not only are we captivated by beauty, but we're convicted by our inner inability to become anything Jesus wants us to be in ourselves. And sometimes we need to just say, Lord, I feel convicted by my lack of life, by living on the periphery, by living on the fringes, by not being as involved as I could. Because your love draws me not only into intimate connection, but into full life. Where, we, where we're receiving the very life of Jesus. Be- repentance, a beautiful word. I'm wrong. You're right. Here's my life. And we live this constantly. We need to be, as I said, it's a lifestyle. It's not a process. I'm not saying... Ah, captivated today, repent tomorrow. This is how we do. Our lives are a life of repentance. It's how we keep this fire burning. 
today I messed up, today my thoughts were wrong, or what I said, the WhatsApp message I sent was not right. I repent, I change. Lord, I was wrong, send that WhatsApp message, phone the person I was wrong. Forgive me. That works. And it says, return. Remember, repent, return. So you're not, it says, do what you did at first, he says, but actually, return to the person who's with you and let him lead you. And then you'll be doing the things that you did at first. Returning to a person. Are you committed to a constant pursuit of Jesus, the person himself? So what does this mean for me? The next slide. Okay, maybe you won't be able to read that. That's fine. If you can't, it's fine. This is what first love meant for me. I want to say that passion is a choice. Not a personality type. So for me, number one, it's a passionate pursuit of his exquisite presence. There's so much to know about Jesus. Every morning when I wake up and read the Bible, I see something new about him, about who he is. And so there's this deep yearning to know him more and more and more. And there's nothing that compares to knowing him and his presence. I come out of a Baptist background. And a Baptist background, they believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But they're not so strong on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, okay? And when I was coming out of that background, the Holy Spirit poured himself on me. I knew that God wants a personal tangible, intimate encounter with him. It's not just being rooted in God's word. It's being rooted in the person of the word. That presence, man. Lord, may we be passionate pursuers of your presence. That we would not settle for anything less than what you have for us and where you show us and where you want to lead us. Let the hunger and, and desire to know you more, like the Apostle Paul says, I'm pressing on to grab a hold of that for which you called me. It's, it's a pressing on for you, with you, God, to grab a hold of that which you desire for me, Lord. But without you, without your presence, nah, it's not going to happen, Lord. Empty, it will be empty. Even now, Lord, I pray that folks sitting here in their hearts would sense your presence. Would sense a, a fresh flame growing within their hearts, God, just to, to long for you, to, to run after you in your presence, Lord. Secondly, it's a passionate pursue of the immaculate purity only Jesus can give. Uh, we're in a process in ourselves, in our hearts, even as Kim was speaking, it's the divine physician who comes and pumps the heart. And it's only when we receive by faith the righteousness he gives and the ongoing gift that he gives that we become pure and become more and more like Jesus. And I want to become more like him. I don't know about you. 
So that I want to live in his presence, but in that place of his presence, I want him to change and transform me. Understanding his love, his mercy. And this can only be accomplished in a place of humility and surrender. I told my sister once, I said, she's going through a tough time a while back, three or four years ago. Very sick, bedridden in this. We, we had a family uh, reunion in New Zealand. We are blessed to be able to go. And she's in terrible pain, and she's far away from the Lord. She actually came back to South Africa two weeks ago. And I said, Debbie, don't waste your pain. Don't waste the hardship. Don't waste the difficulty that you're going through because God's process of purifying you. And our hearts need to be in that place. So it's a difficult. We might have difficult relationships, something we're going through, situation we're going through, or time with our families or a family member or in the church, whatever the case is. Man, God and Jesus is in everything. And we need to acknowledge that. Thirdly, passionate pursuit of the pleasure of God. Does my life bring Jesus happiness? <laughs> when I'm making this decision, is Jesus going to be happy? Am I bringing him glory? Does my life bring God joy? Do the decisions and choices I make show how much I value God? Or is it based in what the world says is valuable? The things we possess, the choices we make, the houses we live in, the cars we drive, the, the friends we mix with, everything. Is, is what I value, does it align with what Jesus values? Fourthly, a passionate pursuit. Sorry. Um, passionate pouring out of myself. Where is it there? For the people of God. All my life. I've endeavored, and I got saved in 1970. I've known Jesus all my life, but known that when I was 10 years old and the Easter camp that Sunday, I remember that day. I remember that day. But the day I fell in love with Jesus, I fell in love with his bride. And God has kept me, and I'm so thankful for that. God has taught me about the church so much and there's so much more to learn about the church. But if there's one thing that God has taught me amongst other things and it's not about going to nations, which I love. <laughs> That's just in me. Probably the biggest truth every single one of us can learn about God's bride and God's church because this applies to every single one of us. Every person matters to God. Which means you and I can make a difference in one person's life. Because we don't know what God's going to do in that person's life because that person will affect 10. Yeah, you know the circumstance. God taught this to me when we were just after planting the coming year from Mossel Bay. We planted the church then in the year 2000. Uh, they led that church, handed it over to Josh Jane in 2010. Um, that's amazing what's going there, happening there, what the Lord's doing there. Very excited there. Out of that's been four church plants and a base the Lord spoke to us about in 2000 about. It was wonderful. But coming here after leading a church, going to the nations, leadership training, raising eldership teams, preaching most weeks. I want you to, the Lord, well, 
in the process of what the Lord said, I want you to have coffee with people. Yeah, okay, Lord. I think it happened for about three years in, under Ryan Kingsley's leadership. And the Lord told me clearly after coming away from coffee, and I'm like, is this it, Lord? And he told me, how does my kingdom advance? I said, one life at a time. One life. Every person matters. So, are you on the fringe? Or are you in? <laughs> you can all be discipling someone, or one or two, or three people. The moment Jesus comes to your life, His Holy Spirit comes into us, and we are equipped. And if you feel you're ill-equipped in a certain sense, you just find someone who can come help you. We have no excuses, actually, to be live insipid lives. And finally, for me, oh, that's good timing. Good timing, finally. My choice, my passion pursued for the prize. Jesus, Him in eternity. We live for eternity. There's a prize that's awaiting us which is far outweighs anything and anybody or anything the world can ever even begin to imagine for our lives. I can't imagine heaven. I'm thinking now of Will, Marie. I'm thinking, Will, (laughs) you beat us. Beat us to it. I am... Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 41 to 42, he said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one thing. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken from her. She was loving on Jesus, at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to close with one story and then just one perspective which I want to urge you guys and we're going to sing a song of worship or just give rededicate our lives perhaps where you're at. So at the end of last year, um, I don't know if you know Peter Hart Brown. I've told the story in some context, but I don't think I've done it yet. Have I told this story yet? Okay. Peter Hart Brown. And he had a, a, a daughter's name was Sarah who was married. Some of you may know the story. Yeah, I'm going to tell it again. So Sarah was like in the mid-twenties, was married, happily married, living in Zimbabwe, had a flourishing ministry, happy marriage, had a two-year-old, uh, uh, was giving a, given birth. This was December, this last December. Um, Father Peter Hart Brown had led the church, known very well, some of you may know him, leader of church, church's family of involved in ministry and everything. Flourishing ministry, uh, Sarah had in Zimbabwe with her husband. Uh, the people loved her. There, there was stuff she was doing. Family was great. Two-year-old uh, daughter, I think. And then she had the second child around about just before Christmas. And as a result of her giving birth, she shot an embolism into her brain or something, uh, something like that. And like that, like that, she ended up in hospital, was dying. And she was lying on, 
on her bed, uh, on the bed, and she had just given birth. The child was literally two weeks old, little baby. And uh, her husband, I can't remember his name, some of you may know his name. Her husband, I was at, I was at the, uh, the memorial, that's why I know this. So I'm sitting, he's at the memorial, and this is, he's telling the story now. Not from, he, I actually heard him say this. He said, he went and sat down uh, the, this evening, I think it was the day before, the evening before Christmas, and he sat down, and as he's watching his wife actually in a coma, and he sits and he asks the Lord, he says, Lord, you didn't give her a choice. And, um, yeah, what am I saying? So um, he goes away the next day, and he knows that this is probably the last time he's going to see her alive, breathing. And uh, as it happens overnight, she passes away. 25-year-old, two-year-old, two-week-old baby, two-year-old child, husband, happily married for seven or eight years, flourishing ministry, you name it. Everything that she had to stay in this world to be effective for Jesus. She was a Jesus lover. And she passed away overnight, and he's then processing this. The husband now is processing this, and he's relaying this to us at the memorial. And he says, I'm processing this, and I'm walk, walking out. I was, he went for a walk. He said, Lord, you didn't give her a choice. You didn't give her a choice. You didn't give her a choice. And he heard, he said, audibly felt the Lord say to him, this, I did give her a choice. She chose what was better. She was captivated by eternity, by Jesus. And when she saw him, I would imagine, she saw infinite beauty, power, strength, and the person was able to sustain her family, sustain the ministry, keep it going. She chose Jesus. It boggles my mind. I don't know if I could do that. Man. I'm hoping this, this morning has been a reigniting of your passion for Jesus. Do the things for Jesus. Do Be busy. Do the stuff that the Lord's called you to do, but don't do it without love for Jesus. I close with this. John, can you imagine John, exiled on the island of Patmos, thinking my life's over. I've served Jesus. I put my head on Jesus' breast. I know him. And yeah, I'm sitting on the island. I'm having devotion. I worship. It's me and God. It's just me and God. And they're on the island where he thinks my life, my purpose is over. Jesus comes to him. The Jesus he'd never seen before. He had, he had been with Jesus as a man. He had been with Jesus as, as, as he'd lived and he'd seen him do the miracles and he'd seen the teachings and he'd seen him feed the 5,000, walk on water. He'd seen all of that. Then he saw him on the cross, bloody, just taking on the sin of the world. 
with the mom, with Jesus' mom, with him. He'd seen that Jesus. But this Jesus he saw on the Isle of Patmos he'd never seen before. Fire in his eyes. Hair like wool. And John, when he heard the voice speaking to him, he turns around and he falls flat on his face. In that, I cannot look at this inexplicable beauty, this purity. It's just, I'm so unworthy. And it says there, in Revelation chapter 1, he says, and I heard a voice say to me, and it says this, and the Lord, the Lord, put his right hand on me. And he said, do not be afraid. Now write this letter. Your life's not over. You've still got a purpose. I want to write my story in your life, into the lives of the church. The hand of the Lord upon him. The loving hand of the Lord. Do not fear. My desire is that every single one of us, there's the fresh ignition of your love for Jesus that happens. If you, if you, maybe some of you are really passionate for God, but my message this morning is, yes, I'm falling in love with Jesus again. I feel, or again and again, I trust this is what's happened this morning. But I want you to know that the Lord's hand is upon you and upon me. And he says, I want to write a letter on your life. I want you to be a message. I want you to be a message. It's a message of love. My love. I want you to carry my love. I want you to fall afresh or just keep on stirring up that love for Jesus and just be the letter that people can read. Just be the letter that people can read. There's a prize that's awaiting you and me that I can't even fathom. But for now, for now, 53 years later, me and Jesus, we're going for it. Catch me if you can, not tell the people. You're welcome to overtake me. There's a song that I'd like us to, do, to sing. Actually, it was incredible. <laughs> when I saw the list of songs, I said, that's the song I would love to have sung. In worship, just in response to giving our lives afresh or, or just reigniting or just, Lord, I want to remember and I want to repent and I want to return to you. Whatever it looks like for you, I don't know. But don't settle for anything less than, than loving Jesus and then following Jesus with your whole heart, with every bit that's in your, that, that you can. Choose, choose Jesus every day. Choose him.